Well, the last several weeks, um, we've studied how to live out the gospel, specifically in our relationships. We've talked about how to live out the gospel in our marriage, and we talked about how to live out the gospel in our parent-child relationships. If if you haven't been able to listen to those messages, I would encourage you to go to our podcast and, and catch up on those. I think they'd be a help to you. We're going to continue along that line. One more relationship that we're going to talk about in Ephesians in terms of living out our gospel, living out the gospel in that relationship. And and that is the work relationships. So so we're going to get very, very practical today. We've been worshipful. The whole mood's been worshipful today. And I I honor that and respect that. But but the message is is going to descend, I think, a little bit into the practical mode. I, I, I want to remind you, though, that, that if you're in here today and, and you've been saved, that is, you've been made new by Christ, changed by the gospel, it ought to affect the way you live your life at work. I'm saying that the gospel ought to follow you out of church on Sunday and into your workplace on Monday. But if you're honest, the workplace can be one of the most difficult places to live out the gospel. Primarily because of one of three reasons. Maybe first because of what we have to do. At work. For some of you, it's a grind right now. Makes it feel like it's impossible by the attitude of the Lord Jesus Christ because of what you're being asked to do. So I solicited on Facebook some feedback. I asked the question, what is your least favorite job of all times? Expecting to get a dozen or so responses. I got 157. <laughs> I can't even begin to give the answers. You should go on my feet and read them. Some of them are absolutely hilarious. Makes you feel a lot better about your job. A lot of people said that that their worst job ever was telemarketing. Some, a lot, said sewage-related jobs. Unclogging toilets. I was offended by this, but some specifically said cleaning the boys' bathroom. Shockingly, a lot talked about chicken-related jobs. I had no idea handling chickens was so disgusting. I mean, when it gets on my plate, it looks so good. That's all I know about chickens and working with chickens. One of our local first responders, well, in fact, a leader in that world, put this picture on my feed. This is his worst job. (laughs) Given the COVID test. How many have had a COVID test? Raise your hand. Oh, man. I got mine back in the spring, ladies and gentlemen, when they didn't have the, the... you know, Q-tips on steroids, but they had the Q-tips plus six extra inches of fine material that went up your nose, wrapped around your brain into the back of your mouth, basically. Um, and uh, it, it was not, not, you can take that picture off. I don't want anybody distracted <laughs> from that. Sometimes what we have to do makes it, makes work hard. It really does. But, but there's another reason why, why living out the gospel work can be difficult. And that's because of who you work with. Some of your coworkers, if you're honest, get on your last nerve. Maybe you work with somebody that's lazy or dishonest or whiny or disrespectful or dumb <laughs> or is a drama queen. I hope you're none of the above, but working with somebody like that makes it difficult sometimes. A third reason, I think the one that aligns most with our text today for why it's difficult to live out the gospel at work is because of who you work for. I mean, the truth is you may love what you get to do. I expect no staff members to say amen on this point, by the way. You may enjoy who you get to do it with, 
but your boss, your supervisor, your manager, or just the company in general that you have to work for makes your work life unenjoyable right now. Maybe it's their personality that you clash with. It's their leadership style that rubs you wrong. It's their lack of business ethics that trouble you or, or their hypocrisy that you can't handle. Or maybe it's just the, the policies that the company demands of you right now that totally stress you out. It's really this work relationship, specifically between employers and employees, that the Apostle Paul is going to address in our text. And, and the Apostle Paul is, is going to instruct the employees first, and then he's going to instruct the employers second. He's going to make one broad point that applies to both, and then he's going to give some individual applications for each. Let's read the text at large, and then we'll dive into our study. Verses 5 through 9. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, According to the flesh, I want, want you to know servants and masters w- w- would be equivalent today the way we had applied as employees, employers. He says, be obedient to your masters with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven. Neither is there respect of persons with him. To get Paul's main point, I want you to notice five phrases that all have the same thing in common. And the phrase is placed in every verse of our text. Look at verse 5, the phrase, as unto Christ. Verse 6, as the servants of Christ. Christ. Verse 7, as to the Lord. Verse 8, the same shall he receive of the Lord. Verse 9, knowing that your master also is in heaven. What is Paul doing? Paul is teaching, watch, that our real boss, our real supervisor, our real CEO, our real master is Christ. As Christians, when we go to our place of employment, whether we're the employee or the employer, we may get a paycheck that has our company's name on it, but we're really employed by God. Now, why is that principle so important that Paul repeats it in every verse of our text? Well, you got to consider the original audience that he was writing to. In this day, slaves or servants, as it's translated in our Bible, often were tied into slavery until they were 30 years old. And oftentimes it wasn't guaranteed that they would be offered release even then. The point is that many of the people Paul was writing to were locked into a very difficult job with a very difficult master and there was nothing they could do about it. In the same way, you and I, I certainly don't, but you may find yourself in a career or inside of a company or at a workplace right now that because of who you work for, it's difficult. Or if you're an employer, you may find that those you supervise or those that you have to lead on a regular basis challenge your leadership and stress you out. Even worse, you may be locked into that job situation right now. Just like a slave was. I mean, you can, you, you can leave, you know that, but there's going to be dire consequences if you do. There's not a better option for you right now. There's nothing you can do about your situation as it currently stands. So then how do you live out the gospel in that kind of work environment? Here's Paul's main point, and here's how you do it. You shift your perspective of who you actually work for. You understand that as an employee, you approach your work as if you were working for Christ because you are. 
As an employer who finds it difficult to lead those under you, you remind yourself that you lead others as unto Christ because you do. I would word it this way. Here's Paul's main point. By trance, and I, 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 I spelt that wrong, and that's a bummer. By transferring your master. There's nothing you're going to transform about God. By transferring your master, you can transform your work life. Did you catch that? By transferring your master from an earthly master to a heavenly master, an earthly boss to a heavenly boss, an earthly employer to a heavenly employer, you transform your work life by viewing everything you do at work as a service to your real master, Jesus Christ. It can totally change how you approach your work life, even if your work life is difficult right now. That's Paul's main point. Now I want to work out of that main point and apply that main point to both employees and employers as Paul did. How do employees live out that principle? How do employees live out the gospel? They do this, number one, they work submissively. Verse 5 says, servants be obedient to them that are your masters. Now you're going to have to study with me to keep up today, so let's go to work. The word obey carries the same idea of submission that Paul's been trying to get across in this entire section of Scripture. In chapter 5, in verse 21, he says, submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Chapter 5, in verse 22, he says, wives, submit to yourself, yourselves to your own husbands. Chapter 6, in verse 1, children, obey or submit yourselves to your parents. Now he talks about employees submitting to employers. The idea is to place yourself under their authority. And you understand that God's plan for, for a society to operate the best is under a structure of authority. Just like a military soldier places himself under the authority of his ruling general and submits to his agenda, employees ought to do the same thing. And if you think that's unreasonable, remind yourself that at least you get to choose for the most part who you go to work for. The original audience that Paul was talking to in Ephesus were slaves, and for the most part, they didn't get to voluntarily choose their job description. You may be saying this, well, my job stinks, and maybe it does, but at least you're not getting physically threatened, abused, or treated like property. Here's my point. If Paul could tell slaves to submit to the authority of a master they didn't choose, then how much more should you be willing to submit to a boss or a company that you likely chose to work for? And notice there aren't any exceptions to this command. In fact, the sister passage in the book of Colossians, Paul, Paul preaches about this or writes about this same thing, but he adds a prepositional phrase. He says, obey your masters in everything. In everything. I'm not talking about if your boss or your company asks you to do something that the Bible clearly forbids. If that's the case, you ought to humbly and boldly rebel. But if, if, if the Bible doesn't give you an out of your submission and your obedience, you ought to do it even if you have an unreasonable boss or a moody manager or you disagree with the policy or if they don't take good care of their employees. Hey, if you're going to work as unto the Lord, it starts with submitting to your employer and obeying what they tell you to do even if you don't like it. Do you agree? A few of you do. Maybe it'll get better. Here's the second way that you work as unto Christ. You work respectfully. He said, with fear, verse 5, and trembling. This is dealing with our attitude towards our boss. It's to be one of respect and honor. Now, this is important because I don't think Paul's necessarily saying respect the person as much as he's saying respect the position. 
Because the person of a certain supervisor, the character of a certain boss might not be very respectable. But you can always respect the position of authority. The idea of respect here is the same exact idea that Paul had in mind when he told children to both obey and honor or respect their parents. Obedience has to do with action and honor or respect has to do with attitude. It amazes me, absolutely amazes me in our society how many adult parents would never let their own children get away with disrespect. Their kids aren't allowed to talk back. They're not allowed to slam the door. They're not allowed to uh, walk away during conversation. They're not allowed to roll their eyes. They're not allowed to exhibit some exasperated body posture. Yet those same parents will sometimes go to work and do to their boss what they won't allow their children to do to them. For the Christian employee, that ought not to be. You should have a respectful attitude towards your employer even when they don't have one towards you or, or because of their character, they don't deserve respect. Why? Because the gospel calls upon you to honor the position even when the person isn't honorable. Thirdly, work sincerely. Verse 5 says, In singleness of your heart as unto Christ. So fear and trembling is talking about your attitude. This phrase, singleness of heart, is talking about your motive. Paul says your motive at work ought to be singular. It ought not to be divided. It, it ought not to be an ulterior motive. Your one focused motive every time you go to work and clock in is to please the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet sometimes our motives are skewed at work. You're motivated by money sometimes. I do believe we work for money. That's God's way of providing for us. But we shouldn't be motivated primarily by money. Here's why. Because when you're motivated primarily by money, you'll do anything to get it. That's not becoming of the gospel. Including lying and stealing and fudging the numbers in your favor. And exaggerating your hours on the time clock or concealing part of the truth in order to make a sale. Hey, Christian employees, be honest. Don't be motivated by money. And don't be motivated entirely by success either. That's a skewed motive. I believe that we ought to be the most successful if we've been changed by the gospel. Because we're going to work the hardest and we're going to have the most consistent attitudes and we're going to be the most loyal to our company because that's what the gospel calls us to do. And that leads to good results generally. I believe that we ought to be successful, but it can't be our main motivation because we'll do anything to get there. Including taking advantage of our fellow co-workers to beat them to the punch. Lying or exaggerating about a co-worker to the boss to make us look better. Being territorial because we're insecure and don't want anybody to do it better than us. Paul is teaching us that any motivation outside of pleasing Christ is insincere and it's not consistent with somebody whose life has been changed by the gospel. Notice, fourthly, fourthly work honestly. Verse 6 says, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ. Paul's telling us this, if I want to get real practical, don't work hard only when the boss is looking. That's dishonest. And I would like to think that we as adults outgrow that. But for some reason, we really don't. We're prone to work harder when the boss is in the room than when he's not. We're prone to work more diligently when we're being held accountable than when we're not. It's our human tendency. But here's the thing. The gospel breaks us out of our human tendencies. And it calls us to and enables us to achieve a better standard, a higher standard in our workplace where we don't have to be constantly supervised. To do well. If you're a Christian, you need to understand that your real boss, this is the Lord Jesus Christ, has a superpower that your earthly boss doesn't, and it's called omnipresence. 
That means that God is everywhere at one time. That means he sees everything you do and don't do in the workplace. Now, this is one of the ways that transferring your loyalty to to, to God as your master can actually transform your work life. Because if you will view your real boss as Christ and you know he sees everything, you'll work honestly, you'll work hard, even when your earthly boss is not in the room. Notice fifthly, he says, work willingly. Verse 6, doing the will of God from the heart. Verse 7, with good will, doing service. How many understand that there is a vast difference in the employee employee who works willingly from the heart and the one that works reluctantly? You know what I mean? There's a difference in their passion. There's a difference in their attitude. There's a difference in their sharpness. There's a difference in their initiative. There's a difference in their follow through. There's a difference in the pursuit of excellence as opposed to somebody who has to be constantly told what to do. Somebody that has to be led around by the hand at all times. Someone who's always pushing the deadlines to the last minute and rarely hitting them. Somebody that falls below expectations constantly. Somebody that fails to be punctual. Someone that always has to be pushed to be creative and innovative. Listen, that shouldn't be said of the Christian employee. Why? Because you're working for the Lord. Your job is not secular. It's sacred as unto Christ. You are called to a higher standard and you should be willingly working from the heart. Here's what I've seen a lot, even in Christian employees. When their job becomes unenjoyable, they struggle to work with willingness. How many understand there are unenjoyable facets to every job you'll ever have in life? But some don't learn that. And so when it becomes enjoyable and their willing spirit is challenged, they go to a new job that they think they'll enjoy better. And then they find out that there's a challenging aspect to that. So they go to a new job. And then they try this pyramid scheme. And they go try this company. Then they go back to school and try this occupation. It doesn't matter how much money they make by the time they're 60, they're going to be in so much debt from preparing to make money that they won't make any. Because they never learned contentment. They never learned how to grind it out in the areas of work that just aren't fun. Parents, teach your kids how to do things they don't enjoy doing and don't let them get away with a half-hearted effort. Because your, your eight-year-olds will turn 18 and they will be employees And you don't want them job hopping and eventually living back in your basement when they're 28. Hello. (laughs) Teach them to work willingly. He gives one more application. He says work expectantly. I love verse 8. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Watch, this is encouraging. If, If you find yourself in a work relationship that makes work hard, You may be thinking this, how can I work submissively? How can I work respectfully, sincerely, or even honestly and willingly when I have to work there? And I have to do that. And I have to work under them. Here's how. You remind yourself that the real payday is coming. You transfer your loyalty to the heavenly master. You understand that he can pay you better than any company could ever pay you anyway. Your real boss never forgets to recognize and honor your good work. Let me break that down for you. If if you choose to work respectfully for a long period of time at your place of work, that means you probably won't say some things that you really want to say because you know it'd be viewed disrespectful. Thus, you're going to be tempted to think over time that nobody understands how you feel because you never get to voice it. God understands, though. 
God sees when you withhold that comment because you want to be respectful of the chain of authority and he'll bless that respect. If you're working honestly, that means you'll do a lot of good things when the boss is not looking and many of those things he'll never notice. Because unfortunately, a lot of bosses only notice things that go wrong. But don't get discouraged. God sees everything you do. He's omnipresent, not just for what you don't do. He's omnipresent for what you do. So stay content, stay patient, stay encouraged. God will bless you. Hey, if you're working willingly, that means you're going to do things right. That means you're going to show up to work on time. That means you're going to do it with a good attitude. And how many can agree you can't put a price tag on that kind of employee? Which means this, if you can't put a price tag on that kind of employee, then you're not getting paid, but you deserve to get paid. Don't get discouraged. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Understand that you're planting seeds that God will soon bless. Yeah. So work expectantly. That's Paul's application to the employee. When you transfer your master, it will transform your work life in these ways. You will work submissively, respectfully, sincerely, honestly, willingly, and expectantly. And then Paul saves his last verse of the text to talk to the employers. And at first it seems like the employees are getting the short end of the stick because they got four verses and the employees only got, employers only got one. How come, how come the boss always gets it easy, right? But look at the first phrase of verse 9. It'll tell us different. And ye masters, do the same things unto them. Here's what Paul's doing. He's saving himself a little time. Because God inspires his writers to usually work smarter, not harder. And so instead of repeating everything he just told the employees, Paul simply says, what I just told your employees to do, you do as well. Here's the principle that Paul is telling the employers. Practice mutuality. This is the managerial golden rule. Treat your employees as you want them to treat you. Now, this idea is incredibly consistent with the context of Ephesians 5 and 6, where Paul is pushing this theme, mutual submission. He's saying when wives and husbands, not just wives, but when wives and husbands mutually submit to each other, it makes for a really good marriage. He says when, when children and parents, not just children, but parent, parents and children submit to one another, it makes for a really good home life. And when employees, not just employees, but employees and employers show mutual submission, it makes for a healthy work environment. So employers, I know we have some in here, supervisors, leaders, managers, if you want respect, give respect. If you want honesty, give honesty. If you want a willing spirit, exemplify a willing spirit. It's called servant leadership. I like how Dave Thomas, the founder of Wendy's, put it. I got my MBA long before my GED. I even have a photograph of me in my MBA graduation outfit, a knee-link work apron. I guarantee you that I'm the only founder among America's big companies whose picture in the corporate annual report shows him wielding a mop in a plastic bucket. That wasn't a gag. It was a case of leading by example. At Wendy's, MBA doesn't mean Master of Business Administration. It means mop bucket attitude. Somebody say amen to that. Hey, employers, you should be required to get that degree before you ever get a lead. That's the problem with a lot of leaders of our day. They get promoted to leadership without ever learning how to mop a floor. It seems that that when someone finally gets to the top or they get a little bit of influence, they no longer view themselves as a servant. They view themselves as the one who gets to boss around all the servants. And that is so unlike Christ. So unlike Christ. 
who was the master of all masters and took a mop bucket and some water and cleaned his disciples' nasty feet. We read all kinds of self-help leadership books, don't we? All kinds. If Paul wrote one today, the very first principle would be practice mutuality. A good leader treats those under him how he or she wants to be treated. Number two, avoid threatening. That's what verse nine says. It says forbearing, threatening. Now, because Paul used the word forbearing, it, it tips us off to the fact that whether you think you are or not, you're actually prone to using threatening as a leadership device. He wouldn't have said that we have to hold ourselves back from doing it if we weren't prone to doing it. It's just that threatening comes in all kinds of different forms. We, we have a more polished version of threatening today as leaders sometimes. Now, I'm not talking about the fact that we shouldn't hold our employees or those we're leading accountable. Accountability and strong accountability is part of good leadership. You can't expect what you don't inspect. In the long run, you can't complain what you continue to tolerate. So a good leader leads. I'm talking about, about the way you motivate your employees. Shouldn't be threatening. A threat can't, it can come in the form of a manipulation. Where we literally say, do this or else. Now you may have no intention to follow through on the or else, but you want to scare them into productivity. A threat can come in the form of harshness. You're short-tempered with your employees. Your words are sharp with them. You're arrogant. You're constantly irritated with them. A threat can become the form, uh, come in the form of belittlement. This one drives me crazy. Anytime an employee doesn't do something right or to your standards, you make a joke about it. And that's the way you get your point across. Forget taking the time to show them where they're wrong and teach them a better way. Maybe not in front of the whole crew. Some people's leadership, leadership technique to their employee is to make them feel stupid. Because they didn't pick it up as fast as they picked it up. That's bad leadership. A threat can come in the form of silent treatment. You're so frustrated and put out with your employee that instead of sitting down and dealing with it because you don't like confrontation, you're just going to steer clear of them until they no longer bother you. Not good. Whether it's passive, passive aggressive, or altogether aggressive, any kind of threat is not profitable and it's not becoming of gospel leadership. Let me give you one more for the employers. Live with Christ-centered accountability. Verse 9 says, knowing that your master, capital M, also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. If you're an employee, supervisor, manager, or leader, you need to take close attention to this. For you to view yourself as not accountable or as accountable as your employees are is a, is a big mistake. Listen, when, when, you, when it comes to answering to God, there is no respect to persons. So he doesn't have a judgment seat for employees and another easier judgment seat for employers. Sometimes when somebody gets into leadership, they begin to think that they are the only person that they answer to, just themselves. Everybody else answers to them. Here's the thing. You never grow, outgrow your accountability to your real boss. Christ will always be the boss of all bosses. And we as leaders have to continually remind ourselves of this accountability. When we don't, that's when we get ourselves into all kinds of trouble. Did you know, and you can study people's biographies, that some of the biggest mistakes people have made in their lifetime have been after they assumed a leadership position. Many have fallen because when they got to the top, when they finally got voted in, when they finally got promoted, they stopped inviting accountability into their life. 
If you're a leader in here, you need to pick one or two other leaders or or godly friends that have an open door to ask you any question at any time. You need to reach out to them on a regular basis to admit your struggles and solicit prayer and counsel or else you will unintentionally develop the sense of invincibility that is dangerous and inevitably leads to massive leadership failure. And the devil is hard after leaders because the collateral damage is always greater when the leader falls. So leaders, you have to be extra careful to invite accountability into your life because the devil's after you. To the employers, Paul says, lead others as unto Christ. And you do that by practicing mutuality, avoiding threats, and living with Christ-centered accountability. To the employees, Paul teaches us to do our work as unto Christ by working submissively and respectfully and sincerely and honestly and willingly and expectantly. It's so important. And this is a simple message, but... You need to walk away with this truth today and it's going to be typed wrong on the screen again. (laughs) By transferring your master, you can transform your work life. Listen, this is how your Sunday can touch your Monday. You go to work tomorrow with a new perspective of who you're really working for. You're not working for the board of directors. You're working for God through them. I'm not working for Fellowship Baptist Church. I'm working for God through you. You're not working for the citizens of the city of Liberal, the, the, the citizens of Seward County. You're not working for the, for the administrators of UST 480. You're not working for the Boston National Beef. You're working for God through them. Leaders, you don't get a lead just any way you want to. Leaders, just because you were led in a dictatorial way doesn't mean that's the only way to lead. Your leadership ought to continue to evolve and grow into more of a Christ-like servant leadership as you walk in the gospel. Because as you are living in the gospel, you are much less of a jerk. You hearing me? Doesn't mean you can't have high expectations and a serious level of accountability, but you're just not a jerk when you expect it. If you're an employee and you're in a tough, tough work environment, I know because some of you have told me and I'm praying for you about that. Stay with it. Transfer your master today. Doesn't mean God might not have something better for you. But don't look for the first way out just because it gets hard. Learn submission. Employers, ask, ask God to help you be better leaders today. To lead in the gospel. That's the message. If you agree with it, say amen. Amen. Stand to your feet, every head bowed.